time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey, you guys! Welcome to episode 23 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, here with Patrick. Oh my goodness, that was awful. <laughs> you loved it. We are your hosts. This week, we are able to do something a little different when it comes to deciding what movie we were going to cover. Patrick, how did all of that go down? Well, it went swimmingly, my friend. We are so blessed with an awesome community of listeners who have become very active in the Facebook discussion group and on Twitter. So we decided to let them choose the movie. We threw out three potential options. Goonies, The Last Starfighter, and The NeverEnding Story, and in a landslide, if you hadn't already guessed it, The Goonies emerged victorious. Yep, this was a very fun event, and I'm looking forward to being able to do more listener picks in the future. May still be a little ways off, but if you start using the hashtag FeelThisFilm on Twitter, you can be assured that your recommendation is considered the next time that we have a poll. The other thing to keep in mind is that only our Facebook group members get to vote. So if you're not a part of that, what are you waiting for? Speaking of waiting, Aaron, I think we've kept them waiting long enough. I'm pretty excited to hear what uh, you think of the Goonies. But uh, did you watch anything else this week? I did. I kind of randomly chose to catch up on uh, one of the more indie-ish titles from this year that I've missed out on. I actually started this process by looking at some lists across the internet for best of 2016 films, and one movie that kept kept coming up uh, over and over and over is uh, a little film called The Fits. It's pretty short, and that's, that's why I chose it specifically on the night that I was watching a movie. I didn't have a lot of time to burn. And it was an experience unlike anything I was expecting. I'll tell you that. So what I knew going into this was that it was about a young woman, a young African-American woman, uh, who was going through the process of growing up. It's just a, you know, an adolescent coming in, coming of age story, essentially. Uh, I knew that she was a boxer and that she had aspirations of becoming a dancer. And that's, that's all I really knew. Well, the movie very quickly turns your expectations going into it on on its head. Th- that absolutely is what happens. Everything that I just described is is the main storyline of this film, but it's the way that it's presented that is very, very special. For anyone who has seen 2015's uh, surprise, kind of surreal hit, Under the Skin, uh, with Scarlett Johansson, this film feels very similar to that. It's it's it, it's it's unique in the way that it captures the out of body experience that we all really are going through when we're going through this coming of age process. And the film gets a little Twin Peaksy and kind of Twilight Zoney in the middle of it. It, it just it's a very odd mix, uh, but it works it works really well. It's incredibly impactful. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't love it as much as uh, many of the critics that had placed it high on their lists, but I did think it was worth watching. And it's a filmmaker that 
I'm very excited to see what she does in the future because if this was her like opening salvo, this was her first shot <laughs> at making a movie. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what she comes up with next. That's cool, man. So you mentioned that it's a movie about um, a, a woman that grows up. I love the fact that it's described as her being a boxer but aspires to be a, a dancer. Is that right? Yeah. So she's she's a boxer in a community center. Uh, okay. There's a community center that she hangs out in with her brother, and it's kind of attached to a school, and there's this local dance team okay. uh, there that she's always seeing. And, of course, she sees them dancing, and she's like, you know, I want I want to do that. And so it's okay. all about her dealing with the growing into womanhood, essentially. Gotcha. So does it take place over a number of years a la like boyhood or is it like just are there flashbacks? Does it does it stay within a certain age at, at all? Uh, no, I, I'm actually glad you asked that question because it's something I wanted to mention. Uh, I enjoy films like this that are a snapshot in time. And that's what this one is. It, we don't get the length of time that the story takes place over, but it can't be more than maybe a couple of months tops. Okay. And and so it's really just kind of a look into this tiny little portion of this person's life. And I, I enjoy that because a lot of movies try to capture this big, long, wide experience. And instead, this really narrowed itself down to one impactful changing event and what took place as it, you know, we went from A to B in that process. Oh, cool. Very nice, man. So it's called The Fits. And who's the director? Do you know? Don't know off the top of my head. Okay. So it's a great director who directed a great movie. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I, I've been up to uh, not a lot this week. I've been prepping. Uh, I started a new job um, tomorrow or Monday or whenever you guys are hearing this today. So I'm excited about that. So I've been getting ready for that. But I had a chance to watch a couple of things. Uh, one was Eight Men Out. It was an old movie, a baseball movie that chronicled the events of the 1919 World Series about the Chicago White Sox, um, known as the Black Sox because they were caught cheating in the World Series. has a really cool all-star cast, D.B. Sweeney, Charlie Sheen. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a number of other people. But um, I'd seen it before, and it, it kind of popped up on my, on my um, Amazon Prime feed. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll, I'll revisit this. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Read the book. Read the, the book's very good, and the movie's uh, just as good. But what I really wanted to talk about was a show that's in its third season. It's a summer show, although this season it started, in my opinion, very late. It started at the tail end of August, and it's a, it's, a, it's a show on AMC called Halt and to Catch Fire. Never heard of it. And you probably wouldn't have because, again, it's a summer series. Each season is maybe 10 or 11 episodes and uh, debuted a couple of years ago. Didn't get a lot of, you know, audience thumbs up. It wasn't like negatively received, but it just wasn't very popular. Not like other things on the show like or on the network like... Um, like uh, Mad Men. No, Mad Men's not one. Uh, uh, like uh, yep. The Walking Dead. Mad Men's Mad one. Men? Mm -hmm. Okay. Breaking Bad. Yeah, okay. So, but in that same vein, it's it's a show that it's a character study. And essentially what it is, is it's, it takes place in the 1980s at the beginning of kind of the 
technology boom, not necessarily the technology boom like we have with cell phones and stuff, but like the beginnings of you know personal computers, the the you know the the infancy of the internet, you know BBSs, things like that. And it follows an ensemble cast of characters who, throughout each season, are pursuing these different avenues of of success. And so, what we're seeing is various characters that are taking on uh, business ventures and trying to get ahead. So the so the first season is about these four ind- three individuals that are trying to build the personal computer to compete with IBM. So it actually exists in the world of IBM, Microsoft, Apple. It's not sort of transcendent of those. It recognizes that it's part of that, of that world. And Lee Pace stars in it as a guy named Joe McMillan. Uh, Scoop McNary, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's been in some things here and there. But the uh, each season has sort of a different tone to it. It's following different, it's following these characters, but the first season they're together on a project. The second season they're on different projects. You know, things have happened. Relationships have been strained. Relationships have changed. The third season relationships have changed again. And so it's, it's neat because it's not about the projects or about the subject matter of what's going on. In other words, it's not about building the personal computer, although that's the backdrop. It's not about discovering the origins of like the chat room or cybersecurity, like antivirus type stuff. Those things become tools to help us understand these characters. And over the course of three seasons, we've seen these characters become a lot more rounded in terms of we care about them more. We despise some of them more, and it's really just intriguing to me. Um, it's again, it's not a very popular show. In fact, it had gotten low lower ratings the second season, although it was critically a lot more well received the second season. But because AMC owns it outright, in other words, they're not having to pay distribution rights or licensing rights to you know like Image Comics for like The Walking Dead, they can afford to take a loss. And I love the fact that they decided to bring it back for a third season. And each season for me personally has gotten progressively better because you love these characters. You start to know these characters and you're like, man, this, you know, Joe McMillan, you know, Lee Pace uh, plays is like, he's becoming more enigmatic as the series goes on. And he's becoming more of a, like a Bill Gates combined with your um, uh, Steve Jobs type character in this third season so to see his character alone progress how it has is is really really cool Uh, so if you like good character studies if you like a good drama and you're kind of familiar with the amc type drama uh packaged in weird ways like through the walking dead or breaking bad or, or mad men this is another great series to check out it's like i said it's in its third season but you can check out the previous seasons on on amazon I know during the off season, the first two were available for Prime users. They're not anymore, obviously, but um, they're definitely worth checking out. Cool, man. Uh, def- I don't think it sounds like something that I would be interested in personally, but I'm sure that out of the many listeners that are hearing this right now, there's probably some Halt and Catch Fire fans, and there are probably some people that are intrigued by it after that description. I know of at least one or two, and you know who you are. 
<laughs> all right, man. So that's all I have. Um, and I am ready to, to shut that down and get right into the movie, if that's cool with you. That is extremely cool with me. So the Goonies, man, this is, um, this is one that, that holds a special place in my heart. And um, I believe I, I got a little bit of a surprise uh, before we dive into the movie. Just wanted to give ourselves uh, our official spoiler alert for any of you guys who have not seen the movie. Shame on you and go see it. <laughs> yeah, because of but, course you probably have to have seen this movie by now. Well, you would think, right? <laughs> I, I know. I know we all have. <laughs> at least we all have at this point <laughs> everyone in this podcast can say that they've seen this movie at least once <laughs> as of tonight right <laughs> yes sir we can so speaking of spoiler alerts uh i wanted to go ahead and put this out there i think you've already made your confession on social media that this was your first time watching it this was my first time watching it i feel somewhat ashamed I can tell you I thought that I might have seen it because I've been so familiar with the the cultural relevance of this movie for years. But as soon as it came on, I realized pretty quickly there was just nothing clicking in my memory and this was all new to me. <laughs> well, that, uh, that, that makes me, um, that makes me wonder something. So, you know, I know a lot of people that are going to tune in for this episode will have already seen it multiple times. They've probably grown up with it. So I'm interested to hear what you thought about this movie that uh, was made back in the mid-'80s and what, what your takeaway was it initially, uh, just your, your kind of uh, your knee-jerk reaction as a first-time viewer, as an adult watching this. What did you think of it? Well, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very fun adventure film, I can definitely see how it became a cult classic. I can clearly place it uh, with some of the other 80s films that, that took off around that time, like whether it's you know The Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or Princess Bride, NeverEnding Story, Last Starfighter, things like that, where there's a lot of love for it, even though it's not necessarily a great critical success. Um, and I can understand the, that people have held on to this one for a long time and kept it with a special place in their hearts. That being said, I also believe that this movie would have been a lot more fun had I seen it in the eighties. And I probably would have felt that way about it more so than I did now because watching it as an adult in his late thirties, it was more like a research project in a way because seeing the jokes and seeing the you know the the uh time period sensitive dialogue things that were meant to make sense in the in the mid 80s that don't necessarily make sense as much now mm. getting all of that from it it doesn't hit the same nostalgic note that it would if it was my back to the future. Um, it's, it's very akin to a movie like that. So it's different. It's definitely different. And I believe that the biggest takeaway from that, that I'm going to have is it's not something that I feel the need to suddenly go back and revisit multiple times. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'd seen it a lot earlier on, I probably would have revisited it many times since then. So I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, I, I totally learned all kinds of things about this. I had no idea it was directed by, not directed by Spielberg, uh, produced by Spielberg. Had no idea it was directed by Donner. Had no idea that Chris Columbus wrote the screenplay. Like mm-hmm. all of that was news to me. Um, I, I had a lot of fun seeing the young actors, uh, versions of the adults that I've grown to love in other movies. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun watch. Cool, man. Cool. Well, I know for myself coming from the, the opposite end of that, having grown up seeing this as being one of the movies that was in my Vahas library or VHS as, as it's known by the common folk, this was a movie that I, I loved watching over and over again because of what I didn't know at the time, but because of the nostalgia. Watching it as an adult and taking back to growing up with that movie as part of, you know, my summers, as part of the multiple lines that my brother and I would quote back and forth to each other. Uh, the friends of mine that growing up in elementary school and junior high that we would, we would, you know, we would feel like we were on this adventure with the Goonies and we would, uh, we would totally embrace this adventure with them because at the time when it came out, I was probably, I think six or seven years old. So this was at the heart of where I felt like most of these kids in the movie, most of these characters in the movie were around my age so I could relate to them. So looking at it from an adult's point of view, I clearly have a connection because of my past with it. And so the challenge for me was looking into it or looking at watching the movie and, and trying to separate that nostalgia point of view to see if this movie held up, you know, if it was one that if it were produced today, would it be one that would be written off as a summer blockbuster or a flop or somewhere in between. And honestly, it was difficult for me to do that. I couldn't, it was really hard for me to get past my sheer enjoyment of it. And I couldn't necessarily separate if I was enjoying it because I remembered how much I enjoyed it as a kid or if I genuinely enjoyed it because it was a good movie, because it was a well done movie. And so, you know, this might be a subjective opinion, but I feel like it held up. I feel like it was a movie that despite its specific time period jokes, its time period setting, I feel like it can be watched by, you know, my son when he gets older and it can be enjoyed by a younger audience these days. Um, but I would need to experiment with that. I'd need to kind of put it in front of a focus group of like some seven or eight year olds today and see if it would really hold up. And as I'm saying that now, I'm thinking maybe not because there aren't any cell phones. There's no Pokemon. There are no video. I mean, there are no, well, there's, there's arcade games that are in it, but they're brief. <laughs> and what we have is really just a small town adventure movie. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that it does hold up relatively well, at least for some, because my kids enjoyed it quite a bit. They were excited for me to see it. They said they liked it. It's not something that they have raved about uh, in the same way. Again, uh, it's kind of, I think they experienced it more like I did, which is, hey, that was fun. That was cool. I bet that had been better in the 80s. 
Um, it was a good watch, but there's no rush to like, oh, I need to see it again. And I think that's that's the primary difference when we're talking about nostalgia is it presents us with something that we can relate to that transports us in our mind and in our memories back to a place in our past. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you can remember when you've seen Goonies before. You can remember quoting the lines with your brother, probably playing outside as if you were the Goonies, going on a you know make, makeshift adventure of your own, uh, you know making making things up as you went, that kind of stuff. Where I don't have that connection, my kids don't have that connection. So for us, it's just a movie, and for mm-hmm. you, it's more than a movie, right? And so it it brings a different kind of value to each individual, which is fine. Um, but I think what I enjoy about what we do here is that we're going to get into the story itself. We're going to kind of move beyond the value of it from a nostalgic point of view. And if it does hold up, I, you know, I believe the things that that I saw in it from a from a storytelling point of view are 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 pretty great. And one of the things that I I enjoyed about this movie on its own was the adventure was something that I, I don't feel like I, I see a lot in today's movies. I feel like every movie is either trying to be an incredibly just high, you know, high, high level comedy with zero to no depth, or it's trying to be an Oscar winner. I don't know that there's ever a, I don't know that there's a lot of places for movies. Well, then you have the summer blockbusters, the Michael Bay movies that are just like popcorn flicks, as we call them. You know, they're just a lot of fun. You don't have to think about it. And so maybe that's where this would fall in. But I think in a lot of ways, particularly with the way in which the story's told, what I liked about it was the fact that it was very unassuming. It was a simple adventure story. And I recently watched another movie that was directed by Chris Columbus adventures in babysitting, which it it has that same kind of feel where it starts out with normal circumstances that sort of elevate into abnormal circumstances. And to me, I was thinking a lot about the mission impossible franchise and why I've come to enjoy it so much because the movies themselves begin by telling you to suspend your disbelief. I mean, it seems like every at least the ones that I've enjoyed, Ghost Protocol, the original one, I think Rogue Nation, all begin with like this insane mission setup, like something that you're like, wow, okay, I'm in this crazy, you know, we got Tom Cruise holding onto an airplane trying to <laughs> trying to get the cargo out, and and this is five minutes in, and so we're sort of told this is how the movie's going to be, hold on because we're going to go ahead and let you suspend your disbelief and then kind of throw out the rules of logic. And I think what stories like this do is they gravitate towards that over time. I mean, we, we talk about the beginning of the movie is a jailbreak, but the jailbreak is in a small town of Astoria, Oregon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? And so the opening credits are seeing this, this, this ORV, full of these, the, the Fratellis driving through town being chased by cops and we're getting introduced with all the, with the cast, you know, where they are in, in, in the, in the small town, we can tell it's a small town, but we're also getting 
an idea of the kind of people they are. So we have Mouth, who's the son of a plumber. So we know that he doesn't come from a lot of wealth. Then we have, you know, Andy. We know she's a cheerleader. We see Chunk, who loves food <laughs> and loves his own little adventures. And then it finishes. This is what's interesting. It finishes with the the truck kind of leaving, you know, leaving the scene. The camera pans over, and we see Mikey going, man, nothing exciting ever happens around here anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a little bit of irony in that where we're almost given some foreshadowing that, okay, something's about to happen, but we're also given some truth at the fact that this is the goondocks. Nothing exciting ever happens around here anyway <laughs> because it seems like nothing ever does. It's a dreary, overcast day, and you know, Mikey's sitting there looking out the window, and his brother's weightlifting. You know, and this is a typical fall day, a fall weekend, um, and so we're 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 kind of get we're, we're kind of getting this this exposition, and at the same time, sort of a, a sense of um, permission to go on this adventure with them because something is about to happen. Yeah, it's it's actually a really great opening and that's one of the things that I noted about the movie uh, in general just from from the very start, the faking of the death, the faking of hanging himself uh, in order to escape is kind of fun and brilliant at the same time and I particularly also keyed in to the point where I don't I don't remember exactly who was watching the TV at this point. Uh, it might have been Mikey where when the car chase is going on, he's watching a car chase <laughs> yeah, on yeah. the TV. And there's another scene later in the film where the similar thing happens, uh, where the TV shows the same thing that is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I think that that's great, subtle filmmaking, you mm-hmm. know, to, to give you a, a sense of, I don't know, a sense of tie-in of reality versus... Mm-hmm fantasy because right. in in their world the reality is that there really is a car chase going on outside and <laughs> the fantasy is the tv where the, the car chase is happening but in truth the show the movie is about to be a fantasy that's yeah their reality it's just it's a great little way of doing that and so i i really enjoyed the opening there were lots of lots of stuff i learned there too i I didn't know that the name the goonies came from the goondocks i didn't know that's where they lived none of that i always (laughs) i always thought it was just a cool fun name that they went by as you know a group of friends who nicknamed themselves the goonies yeah because it sounded cool i had no clue that it related to where they came from (laughs) <laughs> so that was a a really cool learning experience for me. Right. And and speaking of names, I mean these are just some great little nicknames. You had you had Mouth, you had Chunk, you had Data. I mean these are <laughs> adolescent names that I'm sure I'm sure were given to you know given to one another by you know by the, I, I don't know that I mean maybe Data gave himself that, but I'm sure Chunk didn't give himself that name and Mouth sure didn't give himself that name. That these were Ampl- these were personified names based on their characters, and of course we don't we don't know that early on, but they start to live out their their nicknames throughout the movie, and in some ways, in some ways they're to the detriment of the, of the characters. They get in trouble because of their personalities, and in other ways, they get uh, they actually 
progress the story and get out of trouble as a result of it. But more more so, it's the former rather than the latter. That's true. And to your point earlier about you know whether adventure movies are made anymore or not, I would say they're definitely not made like this. Your example is actually really a good one uh, of something like a Mission Impossible or uh, last year's The Man from Uncle mm-hmm. that didn't need to be. That one is the first of a potential franchise, so it wasn't trying to set up a whole bunch of reoccurring characters at the time. And so we got to have a little more of the sense of this. One of the big differences I see, though, is that we don't have these kind of adventure stories with what at the time you would consider unknowns. Mm-hmm. These are just a bunch of kid actors who they were nothing at this moment in time. Like they, they weren't special. I, I believe I recognized uh, data as data. being data. data as being short round from temple of doom, which I don't know if that came before or after this, uh, but that was a connection I was able to make, but these are not, these were not star child actors. And I feel like if someone was going to make, not a remake of the Goonies, but if someone was going to make a story that was similar to this one today, they would try and do it with someone we know, you know, yeah. Haley Joel Osmond or, or, you know, some star child actor mm-hmm. that we're familiar with. And that changes everything in, right. in so many ways, you know, it would have adults that are, you know, rich, you know, Richard De Niro or uh, not Richard. De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, you know what I was I had Richard Gere in my head I don't know why because no one's making a movie with Richard Gere anymore <laughs> at all whether it's like this or something else but um, my point is <laughs> remake starring yeah. Richard Gere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but my point being is that they would they would try to make this movie and throw in an actor or two that we're familiar with in order to quote give it relevancy and in doing so it would somewhat limit the ability for us to let go and be transported and enjoy it as an adventure story. I think that's huge. I think that's yes. a big part of why we're able to do that with movies like the Goonies, mm-hmm. the princess bride, never ending story, all these films it is because we don't have a connection. We don't have these, these actors typecast in our heads already. Yeah. Well, my personal confession is that I, I, that's exactly how I felt about sing street when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know any of the cast members. And so I was forced to enjoy the story for the sake of the story itself. And so in the eighties, you know, you're looking at this movie and you brought up the, (laughs) the, the Trinity of technical amazingness that is Spielberg, Donner and Columbus who all became famous in their own right for various things. And I think just like with Armageddon where you had Michael Bay, JJ Abrams and, um, the executive producer Bruckheimer making a great mo- you know, blockbuster movie like that. And yes, you can, you can quote me on that. I did say it was a great blockbuster, you know, even though it's directed by Michael Bay. So, you know, stamp it. The, the Goonies, I, th- I, of course, again, I'm a kid and I don't know about the Spielbergs and I don't, I, I don't know about, I don't know at the time I didn't know about how big those names were, but I think that because you didn't have well-known actors, you had to have a good story to bring your audience in. And what a great uh, trinity of, of, of guys to do that. You know, we, we know Chris Columbus from things like Home Alone. We know Richard Donner from things like, like Superman. And I think Steven Spielberg has done a couple of good movies uh, here and there. I, I'm not really sure. 
Um, but the fact is, what we what we had was a genuine love for a story and a genuine love for a film from both a cast and crew who wanted to make something really good and really fun. And I think you could really see that on on the faces of the actors. And uh, you know, I'd love to see the behind the scenes stuff. I was looking at the IMDb page, and there's like just just tons and tons and tons and tons of trivia about about the movie. And from what I was reading, I could just tell that everybody just loved doing this. And it, it really, I mean, it showed mm-hmm. in the final product. So I, I, and as an audience member, I was glad to be a part of that. Oh, I was too. I, I mean, I, I, I really connected with it. I, I hope that that came across in my, my opening and trying to explain how I felt about it as opposed to if I had seen it, you know, years ago. This is still a very good movie that I thoroughly enjoyed more than a lot of films that I see these days. I mean, it had kids on a bike. When you see kids on bikes, like, you know, you're in for a good movie. That's, that's the token eighties thing right there. Like it is great. That's what made super eight. So great. The moment you see these kids on a bike, it's like, yep, it's going to be good. Right. Right. They're going on an adventure. Uh, and the dialogue was, yes, it it was just spot on. And I mean, so much of it is silly. So much of it now is is even amplified as more silly, you know, because we're 20 plus years removed or I guess barely 20 years, 21 years or so removed from, I guess, 30. Goodness gracious, time is flying, right? Yeah. Yeah. 31 (laughs) years removed from from this. So yikes. But it's it's still so good. There's just so much humor specifically Um, in the film. I laughed out loud quite a bit i lost track of writing down all the things that i found really funny which is (laughs) which is good you know i mean from the moment that the statue gets broken (laughs) i'll tell you that was that was an impactful thing for me because when that your connecting point (laughs) (laughs) oh it could have been it could have (laughs) been um i was connecting with something but um well they weren't (laughs) (laughs) well yeah (laughs) This is a clean podcast, but when the, when the statue gets broken, I immediately got defensive and on guard from a, from a viewing standpoint. And I was like, oh my gosh, if this thing like devolves into childish kind of potty humor of the eighties, I am going to not enjoy it, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't at all. And it, and it's actually an incredibly genuine scene and it felt so realistic to me as to exactly what would happen in that situation. Like, oh my gosh. And like we, the joke about not knowing what that piece is and why it's important and then trying to like fit it back on. I, I imagined at that moment what that scene would look like today. And it's incredibly vulgar what I imagined over and over. Like in no way could I think of a way that that scene would have been done nearly as tastefully as it was handled there it would be been so much grosser and more sexualized Mm -hmm. in this day and age and so for that alone it put me in this place of okay i I can connect with this kind of humor this is what i like this is what i want my kids to be able to see Mm -hmm. i'm okay with this and it just kept going from there i mean yeah everything about it the, the scene with gosh who was it mouth translating i i I was literally (laughs) gut laughing 
the entire time. <laughs> Always separate the drugs. I mean, you have to remember that. Always separate the drugs. <laughs> I, just, I was like, what is he saying? Is he is he really saying this? Like, is he is he intentionally doing it? And then you realize, yes, yes, he is. And it's like, oh my gosh, so well, funny. <laughs> I love the humor in this movie too. And I'm going to reiterate what you said, just in a more just in a different way that the the humor is genuine. These aren't these aren't writers trying to go for the cheap laugh. They're not trying to say, let's get mouth to say this because that's just funny to us. I believe that even today, kids act like this. They act like they're genuinely scared if something like that happens. I mean, all of the reactions felt genuine. All of the, all of the lines felt like that's what a kid would say. That's what an adolescent would say. I mean, one of my favorite, two of my favorite scenes with Mouth are when he's in the attic and he's talking to, he, he's, he hears his voice go, Mickey, Mickey. And he sees his, his tongue being like jetted out of the painting. He's like, give me a nice red kiss. And Mikey goes, you're ruining the painting. And he's like, you're ruining my joke. And I'm like, yeah, you are ruining his joke. Come on, have a little fun. And then later on, when they're in the restaurant, uh, and Mama Fratelli says, is that all you guys want besides water? <laughs> and Mouth, I don't know where he gets the cojones to do this, but he goes, nah. And he starts speaking in like this Italian accent, starts trying to order something really, you know, a bottle of, of Ferrucini in 1981. And, it, and he gives himself a little kiss and, <laughs> and then she grabs him <laughs> and like, grabs his mouth. It's stuff like that that I'm going, you know what? I believe one of my friends would do that. Like, I think... I think somebody like our friend Ben would have done that when we were teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Really, because the thing is, when, when you and I, and, and I'm going to, you know, we're going off script for a minute, but when there were things that you and I did specifically that I look back and go, that was the stupidest thing ever. We would, <laughs> guys, we would, we would drive down a boulevard where Aaron lived on the way home. Oh, no, to his no, house no. With, <laughs> If my parents are listening, please turn I it off. I hope now, not. Right? <laughs> we would drive down this boulevard and turn our headlights off. This is before daytime headlights, uh, daytime running lights existed, and we would try to pass each other. <laughs> we would pass semi trucks on the opposite side of you know on on the on the shoulder to try to race each other home. And I'm going, okay, that's that's Goonies right there. You know, these guys. <laughs> so for me, all of these actions. Most, if not all, of these actions are incredibly believable, and they're they're mixed in with these this adventure that shouldn't be happening. There's a moment when Mike they're down in the basement, and Mick, and Mikey says, "It all starts here." And for me, that line was the moment when the adventure really starts. Everything up to that point felt like, "Yeah, I could have done that. Yes, we could have found the you know we could have found the restaurant. We could have been hiding in the basement." But then when they find the when they go into the the fireplace that's something i would never do and that's when the real adventure starts you know just talking about this we've we've discussed how this happens before where when you get to go deeper and you get to discuss a movie with a friend or with someone else that enjoys it it really can enhance and change forever your perception of how you reacted to that movie there's there's the initial takeaway and then there's the after this conversation takeaway. And mine, it's already raising for me just just being able to talk about it with you like this. And I, I hope that that's kind of what people listening right now are getting 
as they're reminiscing about it. Um, <laughs> I hope that, you know, like, I hope we're providing that for them because it's doing that for me and it's triggering all this stuff where, uh, you know, when you just discussed our history and, and the things that, that we did immediately, I started going through my head thinking about them. And then I, I segued over and I remembered recently that my son was telling me about how he had found this old broken down house and how they had, he and his friends had, you know, started to build it up. They'd found this old Roddy mattress and they'd like made it into a bed and they, like they were trying to create this fort out of this burnt down house out in the woods. And, um, and it reminded me of this incredible conversation I have with my kids because my daughter, who's a couple years older than him, she's 13, he's 11. Most of the friends in the neighborhood, they're all boys. And she was telling me how she was very worried. She's like, Tyler, you need to be safe. And I'm, I'm worried. And I don't know if it's safe and I'm going to come check it out. And so she goes with them and she was telling me how it was kind of scary. And she had to, you know, crawl through thorns to get to the boys hideout. And gosh, man, it's like a movie, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like a movie. You've got the older sister who's being protective and, and doesn't want to go. She's the Andy, you know, mm-hmm. of this mo- of this story. And the boys yeah. are just completely oblivious to any potential danger or concern. They're just having fun. Mm-hmm. And recently as well, he realized that his bike, we, we had gotten rid of his bike because he didn't have, uh, he had tires that had gone flat and he hadn't really asked for it, but all the boys started picking up riding their bikes again. And so we had to get him one. And, and now that's what I see. I see them riding down the street in their, on their bikes, uh, you know, going, out and around the neighborhood to this secluded area to go crawl through some thorns to this makeshift hideout that they've found. And they're going on this, yeah. these adventures and, and that's what this movie captures. Mm-hmm. It, it, it actually, I mean, in, in knowing certain terms, it, it captures the imagination. This is a movie that I believe when, when Spielberg was thinking of the story, he was thinking, how cool would it be if this happened? And, and then this happened. And that's okay. I think we talked about that on the 10 Cloverfield Lane podcast, how Trachtenberg said, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And so, it, there's a lot of real value when it comes to that because you're not editing yourself as a creator. And oftentimes, when you edit yourself, you miss potential opportunities to make something go from good to great. And I thought that I'd, I'd love to see what Spielberg's drafts of this story were, you know, what got thrown out what got added. And um, I think there was a point, I, I want to say at the end of the movie, there was, there were lines spoken by the characters when they were, they were talking about like the giant octopus and, you know, we never saw a giant octopus. So we thought, well, I guess they were just making that up while I was reading. That was actually a part of the script. There was a scene with a giant octopus, but it got cut in the theatrical thing. But they, I, I don't know if they left it in because it was just an editing mistake or if they left it in to, to amplify this, this sense of adventure that could be believed or couldn't be. And I, I think that that's part of what drives the story. I think the other thing that drives the story is the antics. Because you can have a movie full of great lines and full of lots of humor, but the antics in this movie weren't just like physical jokes that were thrown in. They had, again, they had purpose. From, <laughs> from mouth making Chunk do the truffle shuffle, to um, the Rube Goldberg setup, opening the gate uh, for Chunk to get in, 
to the guys using chunk to break the picture frame and open the locked restaurant door. I mean, you see a theme happening here with one particular character. <laughs> you do. And I have to interject quickly here that I have had requests for you, Patrick, <laughs> to do the truffle shuffle. And although we are an audio podcast, <laughs> this is 2016 and we do have video recording equipment in our hands on our cell phones at almost all times. So, for a $20 donation to the show, Patrick will do the Truffle Shuffle. Uh, that that was uh, an unsolicited <laughs> amount. <so. laughs> Is Make that not 50. enough? Make it 50 and I might consider it. <laughs> You're so right, though, man. I, I got to just say, I loved the antics as well. And it's, it's cool that you mentioned uh, Home Alone earlier when you were referencing other work. Because I see a lot of the antics that take place down in the pirate ship uh, as being similar to how things play out in a home alone kind of world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we left in the first half of the film with the antics, of course we got a few of those with, you know, data, you know, with slick shoes, you know, and the, and the uh, Fratelli's, you know, slipping on the, on the log what we got, um, in addition to that, in the second half of the film, were these really fun puzzles and rides and stuff as they were going through, you know, the booty traps, <laughs> or <laughs> as as Data would say. And we have, gosh, we have all this fun stuff that I'm thinking, man, I wish this was a ride. I wish I could go through this whole set. I wish it were at a theme park. Man, and, yeah, I, and, I, yeah. and I wish I could experience these things because I remember even as a kid going, that was a lot of fun. And then watching it again going, dude, this would be a great theme park, the Goonies theme park. And you go through this, this whole adventure, but all these things from, from the traps to the, to the puzzles, like the, the organ and everything, it, it all fit together. They were all things that needed to progress the story. They didn't feel thrown in. They didn't feel like, Hey, this would be something cool. Let's just add this. Everything led to something else. And when when all those pieces come together to work, it just makes a really great movie. And I think that's why, beyond the nostalgia, I think that's why this holds up as a really great movie is all these pieces working together. I couldn't agree more. I it's it, it is a finely tuned piece of work from beginning to end. It's 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 pieces fit very well. Uh, everything it does, I, I particularly resonated it with it even more. I think because I used to love playing pirate, and mm-hmm. uh, more so than cowboys and Indians, more so than cops and Roberts. Roberts, what is wrong with me tonight? <laughs> Goodness gracious, <laughs> cops and Richard Gere. That's what I used to play. No, and Ju- Julia Roberts. So it's a, it's a pretty woman thing, I guess. Right? <laughs> hey, again, we are a clean podcast. Um, <laughs> Although Julia Roberts is uh, is a beautiful woman, but what I was saying is, you know, I, I always played pirate. I really did. I, I loved it. And so, adventure movies, current day adventure movies, Pirates of the Caribbean. Maybe that's the best comparison we've had in a long time. And and yeah, it's got some bigger name actors, but man, that's pretty close to mm-hmm. the sense of adventure and the sense of fun and antics and dialogue and and wittiness and just characters that we get. That is probably the closest thing I could come up with, which is interesting 
because I just thought of it because it was a pirate film and this is a you know pirate based adventure story. Absolutely, but, but that that resonated with me a lot because I love that even today in video games. You know, the Tomb Raider series, the Uncharted series, these games where I'm an explorer and I'm trying to find the relic or the treasure. Mm-hmm. The, the that's been lost and discover the story and how it you know how the history of that came to be those things are cl- i mean that's just classic adventure right there and it draws you in so yeah. they had that really going for them and they just they nailed it yeah when it comes to pirates and finding buried treasure that to me is the is the is the quintessential fantasy story you know, you could play cowboys and Indians, but there's some reality to that because we know cowboys existed. We know Indians existed. And, and so even if they're satirized in movies, lately at least, especially with like, you know, the, the Magnificent Seven coming up, I mean, it's, it's a movie that could exist even though there's, it's high adventure. Tombstone's another great example, a great cowboy movie. Mm. But, it's, but, it's, but it's grafted in, in fact. I don't know of a lot of pirates and I don't know a lot of pirate history that that I connect with and say, hmm, yeah, that's some, that's some real stuff. All stories about pirates for me, whether it's in video games, movies, television shows, has all been based in fantasy. And that, again, supports this adventure story because pirates are the, you know, they're the, they're the, they're the I don't know, they're the other protagonist? You know, One-Eyed Willie specifically? Right, they're the unseen, the unknown. Yeah. The, the, the not understood protagonist, exactly. but, but it's there. They're the goal that's sought, not mm-hmm. just the treasure. I, I love the line where, where Mikey says to Andy, Andy, Andy says they're on they're on the the pirate ship, which by the way is just immaculate. I great, love that. Great design. Yeah, and she says, Mikey, do you think there's treasure here? And she and he goes, Andy, this whole ship's a treasure. Treasure. Oh and yeah. Could could be more true. I mean, you know, you 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 know that. And little piece of trivia: that pirate ship, which was built to scale. There was a, there's a, the scene where the, the, I guess Spielberg and company and Donner, they wanted to get genuine reactions from the cast. So the cast never saw the pirate ship until they landed in the water after going down the water slide thing. And the reactions were so genuine that, that Josh Brolin's character, Bran, <laughs> unscripted said, holy, sh-, you know, <laughs> and they had to reshoot it because of the because he just flubbed his line because of his genuine reaction. That's awesome. That and so, awesome. so, so I wish I'd, I'd hope that they use some of the role of film from some of the other you know actors to uh, to to see that genuine reaction. But that's just a you know it, it tells you just the magnitude of of how much effort they went into to to make this you know a a quote genuine adventure story. Um, so it's just good stuff. Well. With you talking about the pirate ship, it, it brings up something that is is what I wanted to mention uh, about uh, and something I don't understand, I guess, about the film, and that is who's driving the pirate ship at the end of the movie? Uh, where is it, <laughs> where is it going? Is that really happening? Uh, that was kind of like a holy s moment for me. I was like, wait, what? What? What is <laughs> happening here? Uh, I didn't expect that, and it was pretty awesome. I thought it was a cool little way to to end it because it doesn't matter right it doesn't matter how it's happening that's Mm -hmm. one of the ongoing themes of 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 everything here and that's part of what makes everything about the adventure valuable is that it doesn't matter how or why or what it just matters 
what's actually taking place in the moment. Right. right? Um, there's a great line in the film where, who is it? Mikey, who says our, it's our time down mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess I'm curious for you, did, how do you feel about them growing up and the ending in general? Because I thought it was a great ending and I thought it did a good job of trying to wrap up some various character stories in a quick, tidy way, but still showing us that change had occurred. Did that, Mm -hmm. did it, did it do that for you? Yes, it really did. And particularly this, this time around as an adult watching it from this perspective, it, it gave depth to the story. It gave a lot of, uh, it gave a lot of value to being able to, to, um, to seeing these characters do what they had to do. And there were pivotal moments in the movie where we, we see those characters grow up. I mean, we see a moment where, in, during the waterfall where, where Mouth is incredibly frustrated and he, he says, I, I don't know how they got to this, to this moment, but he's yelling at, at Steph and he goes, well, this is my dream, my wish, and it didn't come true. And I'm taking them back. I'm taking them all back. And so we, we, it felt a little out of place because I'm like, I don't know where your frustration is coming from, but seeing the whole movie brought together, I think that there are moments like with him in particular where they're, they're seeing the reality that their world is really coming to an end. Their life as Goonies is about to end and they're trying to, you know, do a pull a carpe diem, you know, take, take hold of this. They're doing it different ways. And I think for, for mouth, it was taking back all of his dreams and wishes because they didn't come true. But by the end, when we see that resolution, it wasn't just about, Hey, we got out of the, the cave. It was, we, we did something significant. We saved the goondocks. And it wasn't just that we saved the goondocks. We saved, we saved our childhood and we saved the future of who we, who we are. We saved our identities as goonies because you leave the goondocks, you're not goonies anymore. And by saving the goondocks, they saved their identity of who they were. And so I thought there was, this, there was a real sense of growing up that maybe we didn't see with all the characters, but definitely with, with a select few. What about you? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I think that the data ending for me was particularly of note. Um, I love that we got to see his dad and we got to see the history there uh, in just such a quick shot, quick scene. We, we learn how his dad is trying to connect with him, right? Data is this scientific guy who's always thinking outside the box. He's trying to be an inventor most parents can't relate to that. Like, how are we going to connect with our kids? And here his dad has gone and tried to do something that's like what his child would do so that he can, <laughs> so that he can have that connection. And so that was pretty powerful for me. It was just a great yeah. scene. And then he tells uh, data there at the end, he says, uh, you're my best invention. And I just, yeah. I loved that line again, mm-hmm. the genuineness of the dialogue throughout for me, was a big deal at times it felt it was a pro and a con because at times the the fact that they would talk over each other constantly when they were down in the in the mm. in the midst of the adventure or actually up in the mm-hmm. house anytime the kids were together in big group they would be talking over each other a lot uh, but that was also realistic that's exactly what would have taken place and so uh, just the fact that the dialogue was so normal, <laughs> you know, it wasn't fake. It wasn't mm-hmm. 
it wasn't contrived. It didn't feel like it was forced, uh, made everything. And every time that I heard something meaningful, even more impactful than it probably would have been. Right. Right. Very specific about certain lines of dialogue coming out to be, to be heard. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. So that being said, was there, you know, with all the dialogue and everything, was there a particular scene that you connected with as we, as we kind of gravitate towards our connecting points? Yes, sir. There absolutely was. Um, there were, there were a couple, but for me it was, it was pretty easy this time around and I'm sure that I'm not the only one. Uh, the first Trouble thing, shuffle? Uh, Trouble <laughs> shuffle, right? Uh, I did connect with the truffle shuffle. Uh, it was having, you know, that's a, it's an interesting point because that's something from a first time viewer that I knew all about, right. Or I thought I knew all about. That's one of the cultural things, the, the jokes that you hear all the time. If you said the truffle shuffle to me two weeks ago, I could tell you, oh yeah, yeah, that's from the Goonies, but I knew no context. I had never seen the (laughs) truffle shuffle. Right, I just knew it was some funny dance that took place in the Goonies, and now I, I feel great because I get to actually know what that is and know that I would never in a million years do that. You will, you will for our listeners, but I would never do that. Um, but no, moving my, on, moving on. <laughs> I'm really trying to push this. Um, so my connecting point, much like another absolute favorite film of mine, uh, is a speech by Sean Astin. And I, I tweeted out after this movie that my number one takeaway from the Goonies was that Sean Astin is just really good at speeches <laughs> because, true. you know, this was clearly a, a warm up speech for what he would eventually give a couple of decades later as Samwise Gamgee uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it happens when they're under the well and they're deciding whether to escape and go out or to move forward with this adventure. And so it's this critical point. And I'm just going to let the speech play rather than read it because he says it better than I ever could. Chester Copperpot! Don't you guys see? Don't you realize? He was a pro. He never made it this far. But how far we've come. We got a chance. Chance at what, Mikey? Getting killed? Look, if we keep going, someone's really going to get hurt. Maybe dead. Besides, we gotta get to the police. Maybe Chunk already got to the police. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that. Never say that. Goonies never say die. I'm not a goonie. I wanna go home. I forgot. But still, don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. So at the end of this speech, um, the part that you don't hear here is there's a great additional part that they have sent up Troy's letterman jacket in the bucket. 
and Troy screams out, Andy, you goonie. And, and I love it because part of what Andy says is that she's not, you know, she, she talks about how she's not one of them. And then this moment happens and then there's Troy screaming out that she is. And I, and I really thought that that was great, but overall, everything about this speech, you just, it gave me chills, right? The idea of it's our time now, you mentioned it carpe diem. And when you said that, I thought about dead poet society because who can't, or who doesn't, who doesn't, right? When you talk about seize the day, you have to think about that. And that's kind of what this felt like, to be honest. It it felt like Mikey was Robin Williams saying Mm. to his students and his only, only they're his friends that, you know, we have to embrace this. You know, when, when are we ever going to have this opportunity again? We can't let this pass us by. We can't forget about this. We, we, we're not going to be able to ever be the same if we don't take this shot, right? And it then gets framed in this beautiful way that's completely unselfish. And, then, and that is what I think draws a lot of our interest to 80s movies still to this day for you and I uh, is that there was a lot more purity then where kids could do things for themselves for, for non-selfish reasons. Mm. And in today's world in general, movies reflect it. And most things have selfish motivation, but these kids, they're not, they're doing it for themselves because they need to prove to themselves. They want to prove to themselves that they didn't waste their opportunity, but a, the, a big, big portion of this is all about saving the town for their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, and he says that he talks about the fact that they're doing this for them and the town more than for themselves. And that's just so refreshing to me. Um, I actually paused it when I was watching the film and ran it back and played the speech again because I thought it was that good. So it's definitely one of the more, Uh, powerful connecting points I've had in recent weeks. And it is the scene and the moment that I will always remember more than the antics and more than the adventure, because to me, it gets to the heart of what this adventure is all about. And it points to the reason why the adventure is worth it and valuable in the end. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. And yeah, Mikey is a, is a great central character to both drive that, that vision to, to drive that from the very beginning, you know, he was making an argument, even in the attic, he's like, guys, guys, you know, we could find one. I Willie's rich stuff. We could do this. And even when the doorbell rings and they've got, you know, the, the jerks, the jerk alert downstairs, you know, he grabs the doubloon. He says, you know, 1632 grabs the map from that moment. We go, okay, Mikey is going to drive the train. And over the course of the movie, he grows up, you know, there's that really funny scene where, he, he's making out with Andy, you know, where she thinks that she's making out with Bran. So and, good. And later on, she she tells him, you know, when when you get older, the parts that aren't, you know, you know, the parts that you have are gonna, you know, they're gonna catch up with the parts that that do work or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, so these these little moments of showing where where he's really growing up, and I and I love that choice. And I was going to pick it, but and I actually had it as my front runner until the moment where he meets Willie. Ah. And he, he has this dialogue with him, even though Willie can't talk back to him. 
but there's this moment where he sees him for the first time and he's scared and of course I, there's a there's a shot of Willie his face and and we see that same shot twice for the first time when when we see it uh we're like oh my gosh scary and i remember as a kid going oh my gosh it's a skeleton with a you know an eye patch oh good grief and then then he seems almost surprised and excited and somehow seeing the actual skeleton of the man he'd heard stories about validated everything that he did like this adventure became real to him it wasn't just again antics and the stuff it it had the goal was met and it wasn't just about finding the treasure it was about finding one-eyed willie and his dialogue he goes i'm mike walsh you've been expecting me what like it's as if he's saying and then then he he goes he whispers haven't you and then he says well i did it i made it here i beat you i got here in one piece so far and it's in that moment that he feels as if he's part of the plan the whole time that he's equal with this pirate that lived so many years ago and that he was meant to find the treasure and save the goondocks, him and his friends. And then he says, we have a lot in common, don't we? He says, you know something? You're the first goonie. And I thought that was really interesting because where in that first line, he connects to Willie as being his equal. He then brings one-eyed Willie's character saying, you know what? We're following in your footsteps. This isn't something that we created. You started this because you fought for what was yours and you did whatever it took to make sure that it never got stolen. For Willie, it was treasure. And for Mikey, it's the town. And, and then he goes, you know, he, he turns around and everybody's like staring at him. He's like, how long have you guys been staring there? And we see all these shots of the gold and he says, take it, you know, you know, it's yours. Let's go, 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 go. And right as they're looting and plundering, we see that same shot of Willie. And it's almost like we see him smiling, like he's like, yes, this is what I wanted you to do. And I thought that was really interesting because before that speech, Willie was just a scary pirate with a, with a patch on his eye. And now that same shot, it has a different con- you know, context altogether because of what Mikey said. And I thought that speech um, just as much was about not just redemp not really redemption, but about him saying, We did it and we can we can save the goondocks and now it's not just a pipe dream. We actually did it. Mm-hmm. And here's a guy who came before us who had that original idea to save what what he thought was valuable at any cost. So that was my connecting point. Oh, it's good stuff. They really they really do go hand in hand. Um and they synergize yeah. very well to tell the ultimate story of what matters and and why everything that takes place is important uh, in the end. So I think it's a great choice um, and I'm glad that we got to talk about both. So yes, indeed wrapping up. I I just want to say one quick thing I did not mention. And that is that I wanted to nod or give a nod to the score of this film. It did not win any awards. Uh, It was not particularly like, greatly received to my knowledge. I looked this up because I was curious. The composer, uh, his name is Dave Grusin, and I just loved it particularly. I'm not a huge music guy, but having done the show with you uh, over this last several months, I've become more aware of sound in films. It's become 
a much, much more important part of my viewing experience. And for me, I think that this one was done fantastically. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was the adventure pieces were lighthearted. They were, they were bouncy and, and fun. And the perilous parts were, they were perilous. They were, you know, they, they, they showed, I guess the weight of the situation without ever going overboard and making it too much of a fearful kind of frightening type of tone. Yeah. It, it stayed like an adventure, but we knew that it was getting to be a part where, okay, you know, this is, this is important. Something's going to happen and, <laughs> and there's a big deal. So yeah. I just, I really, really enjoyed the score and I felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Well, good call, man. I, when I when when you mentioned that, um, I think offline, I, I thought it was actually John Williams that wrote the score. It sounded a lot like some of his adventure stuff from the eighties, and I, I thought it was too. And that's why I looked it up, and I was surprised when I saw that it wasn't. Well, shame, shame that he didn't win any awards because it was good. <laughs> Absolutely agree. All right, so uh, any any final um, housekeeping things that we need to go over? Yep, uh, I will just say that. The show, if you'd like to interact with us and you enjoyed this episode, you can get more episodes on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this one currently. And uh, we have you know quite a backlog. Feel free to check all those out. Come let us know what you think, particularly about this movie, though. With this being a listener pick, I do want to encourage everyone, whether you join the Facebook group to, to discuss things or not, uh, that is a great place to do it but you know if you want to just talk to us on twitter or you want to email us at feelinfilm at gmail.com you want to come and talk to us individually on facebook you can find us we would love to do that patrick and i thoroughly enjoy responding to you guys when you bring stuff up people were tweeting pictures to us tonight of them standing outside the goonies house right and it was just that kind of stuff is so awesome and there are a lot of listeners out there just like you who would also be uh, very much into hearing your stories and your personal experiences with this film or, or any other film that we cover. So I just want to encourage that. Um, if you want to interact with the show, it's Feelin' Film on Twitter. It's facebook.com slash Feelin' Film. You can Google Feelin' Film. I've done this. And you can pretty much find all of our stuff there. Uh, if you'd like to talk to me individually, I'm at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, on Twitter, on Facebook, and all over the web. <laughs> and if you want to um, you know, start the auction of the Truffle Shuffle, you can, uh, you can tweet me specifically at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. That's also my Facebook handle. And you can find me at thisispatch.com to find out more about the man behind the mic. I wanted to give you guys a couple of things to look out for in the next couple of weeks. The summer movie challenge between us and Popcorn Theology officially came to an end over Labor Day weekend, and we will be doing an episode with them to kind of talk about the results, talk about our thoughts on the summer blockbuster, the summer movie... um, list in general and uh, we're looking forward to talking about that so tune into that we'll we'll give you a heads up of when that drops um can can we give a heads uh, up already 
Uh, yes, it, it'll be coming out one day after this episode. So the Monday after this episode, this episode will come out on a Monday morning and the, this one will come out that Tuesday morning. So the summer, summer movie challenge will be out within 24 hours of you listening to this. Exciting. And speaking of things coming out next week, we will be reviewing the secret life of Walter Mitty, a, uh, a movie that actually was a surprise hit for me personally. And um, I'm looking forward to to talking through this one with uh, with you, Aaron. I don't know. Have you? I, guess, I think you've seen this one. I have, and my kids have not. So I'm planning on having them watch it with me because I think it's one that they would really enjoy as well. Talking about adventure movies and adventure stories, um, this is kind of one of those. It's more of a solo adventure, but it is definitely an adventure. Fun stuff, man. Yeah. The other thing we wanted to mention is very excited about. Uh, the blockbusters being over, but the theater <laughs> movies picking back up. The Sully is out this week. We are not covering that, but it starts the wave of good theater movies coming back to uh, your local Cineplex. So uh, there will be a couple of theater movies we cover here in the future. In the coming weeks, we're going to be having a mini sode on Blair Witch. We will be having a full episode on Magnificent Seven, and then we'll be getting back into a rotation of more alternation. Is that a word? Alternation? Alternating our types of films that we cover. We've we've taken a break over the last month or so, um, and uh, we've enjoyed it. But we're also excited to review some newer stuff here starting soon. Definitely, man. Definitely. So, yep, that's about it. Until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling film.